Hello and welcome back to the Agora, the podcast that likes to take deep dives into Greek waters. I'm Nick Malkoutsis. And I'm Phoebe Fronista. And we're back, again, after a much longer break than we expected. Events just got the better of us. Yeah, that's right. Trying to get a show together in the middle of summer with everyone looking to escape the city at the first opportunity... Well, that was tough enough. And then came the devastating wildfires here in Greece in early August, which forced us to shelve an episode we had already prepared on uh, COVID in the country. And just now, as we're lining up our subjects for the coming shows, one of Greece's most emblematic figures of the 20th century, composer Mikis Todorakis, died at the age of 96. So we thought we'd return to our broadcast with a brief look at this towering, multi-talented and multifaceted personality. His death was followed by three days of national mourning in Greece, underlining the esteem in which he was held by the country and its people. To call him larger than life is to just scratch the surface. As a composer, Mikis Todorakis could combine high and low art, and he ventured into new and at the time controversial territory, by bringing together Greek poetry, popular instruments, and classical music. And the catchiness of his songs, dozens of them, I think he wrote around 200 songs, apart from the operas and symphonies. His ear for melody, even while imprisoned, with no access to instruments, was a true gift from the gods. And his unique sound gained acclaim, not just in his homeland, but around the world. This piece of music that you're uh, listening to at the moment was written by Theodorakis. It's known as Armisi or Perigali, and it's being performed by Achilleas Anastasiadis and the Mandragoras music group in Hanover in Germany. He's a very good friend of uh, the show and is letting us use his cover versions of Theodorakis' music for today's episode. Theodorakis was also a stalwart of the Greek left. As a teenager, he fought with the communist resistance in the Second World War and, during the subsequent civil war, was sent to the infamous Makronisos Island prison, where he was tortured and, Phoebe, if I'm not mistaken, even buried alive at some point. Yep, part of the torture. What cemented his legend was that afterwards he survived and thrived as a composer abroad. But he returned to Greece, wanting to compose music for his people. His work, though, was subsequently banned, and he was imprisoned and tortured again, this time by Greece's military dictatorship. His fame abroad, and a bout of tuberculosis, helped him secure his release and exile in Paris, where he spoke out against the junta regularly. Nick, I don't know if you've ever seen footage from his triumphant return to Greece after the fall of the junta uh, in 1974, both on stage and in the political arena. It's almost unreal 
the audience just go wild when they see him at this campaign rally for the first free elections. Tens of thousands of people in Omonia Square came out to hear him speak like a literal sea of people. And the way they cheer when he tells them they have the tanks, but we have the music and the ideals. It's just such an iconic, emotional moment in Greek history. Absolutely. Later in life, Thodorakis pursued a political career and even served in a conservative government, leaving the Communist Party, much to the disappointment of some of his followers. But he never stopped speaking his mind. He came out in a wheelchair at the age of 92 to speak out at a rally against the then-leftist government's agreement to accept the renaming of the former Yugoslav Republic of Macedonia to North Macedonia. Throughout this time, though, his music and his musings were an integral part of the Greece that emerged from the Second World War, Civil War, and the military dictatorship in the 1960s and 70s. Theodorakis was able to rouse Greeks and rile them in equal measure, but he was always impossible to ignore. One of the poems he wrote, which he also put to music, was called Ichatrizoes, or I Had Three Lives. And it concludes with the lines, Because I have three lives, one to suffer with, one to wish with, and the third to win with. In the case of Mikis, he really did squeeze three lives into one lifetime. He was prolific in so many ways, and that makes it impossible, really, for us to sum up his achievements and impact in this brief podcast. However, if you are looking for more background, we will provide links in our show notes to an excellent BBC audio documentary by Maria Margaronis about Mikis Theodorakis, as well as a comprehensive obituary by Gail Holst-Warhaft in The Guardian. But here we will try to give you an idea of what Theodorakis' music meant to Greeks, but also the impact he had as a public figure. Now, let's start with the music. Phoebe, uh, speaking of multi-talented people, I'm reliably informed that you've sung a bit of Theodorakis in your time as well. Is that right? (laughs) Yeah, well, in my previous life, I wanted to go to drama school. So you have to sing a song for that. So I was looking for songs to perform. And when I was little... My parents had all his records on vinyl and cassette, and they played them all the time when we lived in America. And listening to the words and the emotions, these songs made me feel closer to my Greekness. And they still have this power. You know, when I went to study abroad, I would just crank these songs up and feel all the feelings. Mm -hmm. So when I had to emote while singing a song, I chose one of those. The Laughing Boy, a very rousing song about the Irish revolutionary, uh, Michael Collins. Um, and it, and this song still gives me goosebumps, Nick, it, all these decades of listening. Let's hear a bit of it. Very rousing indeed, uh, Phoebe, the Yelastopedi uh, there, written by Mikis Theodorakis. Um, but did you, uh, did you get, the, get into the drama school? You never told us that part of the story. I, I did. I did get into drama school. Of course school. you did. <laughs> of course you did. But yeah, and, and then we sang a fair bit of Theodorakis in music class, in drama school. He was, 
I would say he's part of the curriculum. Yeah. An uh, in, integral part of uh, Greece in so many ways. And this version we're listening to, it's the, 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 the classic version with uh, Maria Faraduri singing, right? Mm-hmm. One of the most famous singers he collaborated with. Yep. Do you have a recording of your version of the song, Phoebe? <laughs> uh, thankfully, my extremely poor mimicry of Faranduri was never recorded for posterity. <laughs> oh, what a shame, what a shame. But, you know, I have uh, my own uh, Mikis Thilaraikis anecdote, but uh, we'll leave it until the end of the show. That's intriguing. So let's stick with the musical theme for now. You've been speaking to a member of the Greek diaspora who in his younger years played Thilaraikis' music and other Greek tunes, of course, at the legendary Dionysos Club in New York City, and who even met the great composer once. Yep. And you spoke, I think, about the significance of Thilaraikis' music to Greeks around the world. That's right. I spoke to Dr. Panos Stavrianidis, also known as Peter. He's an entrepreneur, an educator, and a very active member in the Greek-American diaspora community. Also, just as a disclaimer, he's also a very old and beloved family friend. So, shout out, Venus Jewelers in New Jersey. You're the best. Fine establishment, I'm sure. (laughs) Absolutely. Whoever needs an engagement ring. But yeah, before Dr. Pete settled down, he played guitar and bass in the house band at Dionysos. And he even met Mikis Theodorakis once because of his involvement in the Greek-American anti-junta movement in New York City. Okay, really interesting. Let's uh, let's hear from Dr. Pete. Do you remember the first time you heard Thodorakis? What song it was? How it made you feel? I think it was in 1960. I was uh, I was a boy in in Greece, and uh, all of a sudden, and of course, this is the age that, especially in Greece, we were listening at that age mostly to American music, you know, rock and roll, you know, Elvis Presley. And uh, all of a sudden, I hear this music which sounded different. And uh, as I discovered later, that it was uh, pieces from Epitaphios, uh, poems taken from Rituals, and uh, that Mikis made them, made them songs. And then... Another song that really stuck in my mind, and it's my favorite, Zegbekiko. Whenever I go to a club, to a Greek club, I will ask for this song because I want to dance this song. It's called Trapezona. In Drapezona, uh, for those of the listeners who are not familiar, it's a, a neighborhood. A neighborhood at a time in, in Piraeus. Piraeus is the segment, the section of Athens that it's the port. Okay. And Drapezona at the time was a low income neighborhood. The, the government had decided to take those little houses, were practically they were like huts, to take them down. And that's when. Uh, that's when Mikis, Mikis Theodorakis, was inspired. And he asked his friend Tasso Livaditis to write the, 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 the words for the song. First, 
he called him and he sang the song to him. This way he has an idea how the melody goes. And then Tasso wrote the words. So this is Rappezzona. This is, even today, people listen to it and, uh, and they get emotional by listening to it. And of course, they dance to it. I was practically glued on those, you know, those radios, those uh, old-fashioned radios. Well, at the time, it was, they were not old-fashioned. Those were the, the modern radios at the time. So I was glued on the radio listening to that type of music. For, for me, it was kind of foreign because I was listening more to American music, you know. So it really, it really made an impact. What, what do you think made his music so special? I would say, you know, I mean, there, there are two, probably the most famous and the most recognized uh, composers, Greek composers, are Manos Hadzidakis and Mikis Theodorakis. Manos Hadzidakis, his most famous song was... Never on Sunday, right? Everybody knows Never on Sunday, which was from, from, from the movie also. And if you ask someone what's the most famous song from Nikis Theodorakis, it would probably be the, the theme from Zorba the Greek. And I'm talking now globally, not only for the Greeks, but the international uh, audience. So what I would say, Manos, Manos Hadidakis, is more of a lyrical composer, uh, as opposed to Mikis Theodorakis, who is explosive, inspiring, revolutionary, most of his music. So that, 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 would, be, that would be my answer to your question. Speaking of revolutionary, how did you find yourself involved in the anti-junta movement in New York City? And and tell me the story of how you met Theodorakis yourself. I believe it was uh, uh, 16, 1969, 1970, and uh, I was I had I was I had just gotten discharged. From the U.S. Army, and uh, I was really very disappointed that the country where I was born was uh, taken by by junta, was run, was governed by a junta, and uh, somebody had informed me that there is this group of people of all ages, especially young people, who would gather and would, would um, actually either collect money and send it to political prisoners or have meetings, have demonstrations expressing their disappointment against the junta and they would also inform the american politicians about what's happening in greece and for the american government to stop supporting the junta and though i did join that group it was uh, the group the an anti-junta group which was based uh, in new york and actually, we had a space in close to Times Square in the heart of Manhattan, midtown Manhattan. And we would gather there as often as possible and have guests. We had uh, occasional guests and we would uh, also sing songs. Now, the truth of the matter is that uh, uh, most of the people that came there 
were people from the left. Okay, uh, I was I was too young to to consider myself partisan of any group. I was more my presence there was mostly to support the return of Greece to a democratic government. So I wasn't aligned with any particular uh, group of people that had a political ideology. Uh, we did uh, marches, we did uh, uh, demonstrations uh, in front of the Greek consulate, uh, just expressing our disappointment. Another thing that we did uh, that is really vivid in my mind uh, is there was a movie at the time called Z. And that, of course, was uh, the best representative movie that uh, described the situation in Greece. And there was a theater, I believe it was on 2nd Avenue, 1st or 2nd Avenue, between 59th and 60th Street. And we, as young members of the anti-junta movement, uh, we would go there and we would sell buttons, Z buttons, to the, uh, to, 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 to the, the people that were waiting online. You know, those years, you would go and you would wait online. It was cold. It was freezing outside. But, you know, the people that were there, uh, the, the managers of the movie theater, because they felt sorry for us, they felt bad for us, that we were standing outside uh, for hours. Uh, they, during the break, you know, every time a new crowd would come in uh, to see the next uh, showing, they would ask us during the break to go in. So, and, and during the movie, we would go in. So I, I had seen the movie probably two dozen times. You know, I knew it by heart those years. So that's really very vivid on my mind. I mean, the only negative thing is uh, while we were doing that, there were some people, especially Greeks, who would call us communists. A couple of times they would spit on us, wow. practically spit on us. Yes, I mean, not many. I have to say that it wasn't, it was just the very few people, but we had, we had unfortunate incidents like that, uh, you know, which was sad. It was sad. But the, I would say the overwhelming majority of the people uh, they were quite sympathetic and they were quite empathetic. <clears throat> and everybody would give a dollar, two dollars, whatever they could afford. And we would gather this money and, and send it to Greece to support the political prisoners. By the time Z came out and won two Academy Awards, Theodorakis, who wrote the soundtrack, had already been imprisoned, released, and then put under house arrest by Greece's military dictatorship. In this film, it reflected pretty badly on them. Directed by Costa Gavras, and based on the actual 1963 assassination of Grigoris Lambrakis, a politician and friend of Theodorakis, I recently rewatched it doing research for this episode. And I think it really stands the test of time. It's very dark, very fast-paced, and it feels like a a verite documentary that you're backstage watching dystopia come. I wholeheartedly recommend it. Now, back to Dr. Stavrianidis. I remember, I remember that I think it was 1970 or 71 that Maria Faranduri, who is one of the most recognizable performers, uh, representatives on Mickey's legacy with her very characteristic voice, recognizable voice. And I, I was privileged to introduce her. 
She performed at Hunter College, in the auditorium of Hunter College. I was assigned to, to introduce her. I was, I was very proud of, of, that, of that moment. You know? That must have been an amazing concert. It was. It was. And so was his music part of the Greek-American community in general, not just an, a young activist like you? Was, was his music something that had seeped into the, to the society? Was it something that people listened to at the time, whether they were on the left or the right or neutral? Yeah, I just want to remind everyone that uh, before the junta, uh, there was a, a movie called Zorba the Greek. I'm sure most of the audience, young and old, especially the more mature audience, uh, recognizes this movie. And of course, that was Mickey's Theodorakis that made him famous all over the, the planet, you know. And, and of course, on the other hand, there was uh, Manos, Manos Hadidakis would never on Sunday, that also made those two composers very famous. So especially Theodorakis with that movie made Greek, Greek music and Greek culture uh, really famous across the, the globe especially in the States. And uh, so he was already known. Mikis was already known in the, to the American audience, to the, to the Greek audience, to the Greek American audience. He was very popular. And then, uh, and then when he was released from prison, he came and he performed, he gave a historic, a concert performance, I believe it was at Lincoln Center. And we went to visit him. It was the Barbizon Hotel. Is that the name of it? Yes. In New York. It was, it was just a few minutes. You know, and I, well, I was in awe. You know, I was just standing in front of me as tall as he is, you know, with his long curly he was like a semi-god, you know, and I, I, I don't know, he had changed, he thanked us uh, for our activity, he thanked us, you know, for doing all that we were doing, especially trying to help the political uh, prisoners. Unfortunately, I was unable to attend the performance because those days I was going to school, I was going to college, to City University, CUNY, of City University of New York. And I was also performing uh, with my band. So I had the obligation in that particular night. But I'm sorry I missed it because, you know, sometimes you go across these opportunities, these historic moments, and you think that you, you're going to have an abundance of those in your life. You know, because I'm sure I could have made arrangements. I understand it would have been a problem. It would have been difficult, maybe kind of complicated. Uh, but at least I got to see him. Wow. I got to see him in person and, and just uh, enjoy the moment of uh, being in his presence. That's amazing. Ah, so you met him but didn't actually see the concert. That's crazy. Wow. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing and so yeah well that actually comes to my next question which is that you were a musician and you played his music um as a young man uh what was it like playing these songs live how did the how did the audience react was it was it different to other kinds of music was it like okay we're gonna play this now because the audience is dead and we're gonna get them up you know it, we had a very unique situation, actually, when I started performing in, 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 in this very famous uh, Greek international club in the 70s called Dionysus, which is, was the place to be at the time. Uh, we played a little bit of everything. We played, uh, uh, we played uh, some some jazz, we played some standards, we played some Latin. Uh, but of course, the main 
ingredient of success of that place was uh, Greek music. And of course, uh, uh, you know, Theodorakis was the most, and of course, Hadidakis, because every time we played Never Sunday was over but the Greek, everybody would recognize it. And being the fact that most of the audience that would come there uh, were non-Greeks, uh, those songs were a must. You had no choice. It was not like you, oh, uh, let's play, let's do with some songs from Theodorakis or Antidakis. No, those were standard songs. You had to perform them uh, night after night. Wow, these are amazing experiences. And how about now? Like, for young Greek Americans, your kid's age, is is he important? Do they know about him beyond, okay, Zorba, but, but do they know his life history, how his own ups and downs kind of go in parallel with Greece's history? Unfortunately, I would say no, except for the some very few uh, insignificant exceptions. I would say the overwhelming majority are not familiar. Maybe they can listen to Zorba Greek, but they do not connect it with the persona of Mikis Theodorakis, his background, his contribution, uh, the role that he played in the political and the musical life of Greece and, and the planet. Uh, he dared to be real. He dared to be authentic, uh, to speak from his mind and from his heart. And nobody can forget when a few years ago, in front of millions of people, he, he, was, he could say that beware that the worst, the worst case the worst face of fascism comes from the left. And here is a guy who claims to be a communist. And he, he's got the, as we say here in New York, the chutzpah, <laughs> if you know what I'm talking about, yeah. to say something like this, you know? So uh, absolutely, yes, he, 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 the guy, was a true patriot in his own way. Uh, in his own right. And that's why I believe truly, although this music was written uh, because of his political ideology, and at the time it was used or, or it was listened to by uh, people that were more to the left, I don't think that's the case today. His music is pan-Hellenic. His music is universal. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining. My pleasure. Anytime. Anytime. That was Dr. Panos Stavrianidis speaking to Phoebe about the mark that composer Mikis Theodorakis left even, or perhaps especially, among the Greeks living outside their homeland. Within Greece, Theodorakis became as well-known for his contributions to the public debate as he did for his musical compositions. His comments were sometimes controversial, other times contradictory, but he always commanded attention. Exactly. This is the aspect of the Theodorakis legacy that I discuss with our next guest, Phoebe. He's uh, Dimitris A. Sotiropoulos, who is a professor of political science at the University of Athens, and he's also a senior research fellow at the Eliamep think tank here in the Greek capital. I wanted to find out what kind of impact Theodorakis had on Greek public life and whether his passing marks the end of the public intellectual in Greece and if it does, whether this matters at all. 
Let's hear what Professor Sotiropoulos had to say. Dimitris, uh, maybe some of our listeners won't be familiar with Mikis Thodorakis beyond his music, so maybe let's start by laying the groundwork for them. Can you tell me how important was he as a public figure in Greece? He was very important, and he uh, was indeed important for a long period of time, namely uh, half a century, roughly between... um, 1960 and 2010, and that was a very long period in modern Greek history, not so because of its actual length, but because of the density of political events which took place within uh, that time span. So he was important originally for the left, the Communist Party, and the supporters of um, left-wing ideas because he was a member of the left-wing resistance already in the Second uh, World War, and he had participated in the revolt um, against the uh, government of Athens back in 1944. He was then imprisoned, and gradually, as he rolled out his talent in composing music, He was able to express the ideas of the left, including the desire to be included in uh, Greece's disciplined or monitored democracy of the post-Civil War period, that is the period after 1949. As years went by, he became important also for other political forces and citizens who were not left-wing. Thus, in the 1960s, he was one of the leaders against the efforts of um, paramilitary groups and extra-parliamentary institutions, such as the Crown, to control political developments in Greek democracy. Thus, members of the centre also started looking up to him. And this process of enlarging his influence reached the climax during the dictatorship of 1967 um, to 1974. During these seven years, Theodorakis continued composing music and that time was also important for other Greeks, even conservative voters and politicians, to... uh, think of him as not a political, but rather a cultural figure that was able, who was able to express um, a wider audience, regardless of its political persuasion. Um, You've described the very action-packed period of uh, Greek uh, history and a very turbulent one as well. Um, And yet as you so well described, so many people were able to identify with Theodorakis either through his music or his political struggle for freedom and justice. Um, What, in your view, though, made him such a compelling personality for Greeks? Well, to start with, he was one of the few modern Greeks who has been able to lift Greece over and above the usual context of understanding Greece as a leftover of the ancient glory of the Hellenes. That is, Theodorakis was a composer who was able to make Greek culture recognizable in the world, not for Greece's older achievements, but for current cultural production, including 
the songs he composed and also his offer to the world, not only to Greeks, to put music to Nobel Prize winning poetry. Indeed, he took um, poems by two Nobel Prize winners, George Seferis and um, Odysseus Elitis, and used their poems to compose music that became known worldwide and was also very beautiful to, to listen to. Thus, he transformed himself from um, a Greek composer to an ecumenical composer. Uh, and he also was able, given that he was a very well-trained musician, to compose also uh, pieces of music which were closer to classical music. Uh, although these are not so often played by orchestras, they are also known. And finally, um, among Greeks, but also during the dictatorship of the colonels between 1967 and 1974, he was able to personify resistance against authoritarianism and um, thus he was important also for that reason too. So here we have someone who's very much defining the contours as well as the, the, the words, the music, the colours of modern Greece essentially. That is true, including a twist, which I would like to to add, which is the fact that he... There was always a twist with Thelderaki. <laughs> spoke his mind very often, which was an advantage for intellectuals, but he changed his mind frequently as well. So, as a thinker, he was critical at certain moments. For example... Uh, when at the fall of the dictatorship, he explained that um, although elections would take place just after um, the colonel's regime was deposed, in fact, the dilemma was between voting for the conservative leader at the time, Karamanlis, uh, or to possibly meet uh, the challenge of facing another military coup. Uh, at other moments, he was not as insightful. He has changed political sides frequently, and um, one tends to think uh, that um, he was not as influential as, as a politician and a thinker as he was a musician. Okay, I'd like to come back to that. Before we do, I, we're talking here about a person who for several decades was a towering figure, a real presence in Greece. Is it likely that the, the country will see someone like him again? And I mean, someone who had almost, and you alluded to it there, the shaman-like qualities to be able to pull people with him, with his his words and his actions and his public utterings, or, or at least to, to sway opinion, sway public opinion? Yes, it is likely. Greece um, is a small country. The Greek population um, is just uh, above 10 million people, but there is abundant talent in Greece. That includes wonderful productions in theatre, in uh, dance, in literature um, and also in music, along with excellent uh, creations um, in um, sculpture and painting. But one has to add to this repertoire of possibly emerging uh, talents the fact that Greece exports an incredible number of talented scientists. They are found today in the best research centers and universities across the Western world. And um, if one takes into account the fact that 
the typical Greek family invests massively in the education of its children, uh, one would be hopeful that scientific talent or artistic talent will emerge in um, the form of perhaps more than one people who in the future will be able to um, personify such shaman-like qualities. And these people may be, may be needed not so much to, to lead the country, we have politicians for this, um, but perhaps to um, try to provoke the conscience of, of Greeks, which sometimes falters. Okay, this brings me on to to my next question. Obviously, lending great importance to any person and his or her words is not without its pitfalls. And as you mentioned, Theodorakis was often a, a con contradictory uh, person, a conflicted one in in some ways, and never far from con controversy and. In his more recent years, before his death, he he managed to uh, both uh, attract the um, uh, anger of the left and the right, either by raging against the EU IMF austerity programs or even more recently uh, the name agreement between Greece and North Macedonia. So, what I'd like to ask you uh, to sort of conclude our, our, our brief discussion here. Is it a sign of a maturing society that Greeks do not seem to be searching for such talismanic figures anymore? Or do all societies need public intellectuals, public figures who carry weight to act as the kind of ballast to help keep the country on course and not straying into dangerous waters? And in that, I'm also asking, is it that the, the, the Greeks are not looking for this kind of figure, or is there simply an absence as well of these, these figures at the moment? At the moment, there is probably an absence of such figures. The reasons have to do with the type of the political party system and the political culture which predominate in Greece. It is a country which is typically a Western country, uh, regardless of... Um, the influences which we see in music, cuisine, and other uh, aspects of lifestyle in Greece. It is an advanced Western democracy, and yet it is not as advanced in terms of finding ways to balance extreme polarization, which for several decades now has tormented the political party system and democracy is not as advanced as it should or could have been also in terms of the range of political opinions one finds in, in Greece. It is an incredibly long range. In the Greek parliament until recently you would find representatives of all political ideologies of the 20th century, all the way from supporters of Nazism to supporters of Stalinism. Thus, the recurring political polarization and the very long range of conflicting political views do not construct a hospitable environment for public intellectuals who could sway public, public opinion um, in um, large, to a large extent. Um, however, at the same time, exactly for the reasons I had just implied, exactly because of the acute political polarization and the uh, interesting toleration of completely undemocratic views in this country, perhaps such public intellectuals may be dearly needed. Well, uh, certainly, if, if, if we manage to see anyone of uh, uh, Theodorakis' uh, caliber 
in 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 the coming uh, years it it uh, it really will be a re- revelation because he really left his mark and it's very very obvious by the the, the tributes from all sides that have been uh, pouring in over the last uh, few days uh, Dimitris, uh, you've helped us add a bit of color a bit of dimension to uh, the legacy of uh, Mikis Theodorakis and uh, what it what he meant for Greece and what uh, a public figure of his uh, standing, uh, what role he plays uh, in Greece. So thank you very much for that. I hope that we've helped enlighten listeners and take the discussion on uh, following the many tributes that there have been to him uh, in uh, the recent days. Thank you very much. Great. Thank you very much. That was Dimitris A. Sotiropoulos, a professor of political science at the University of Athens, speaking to Nick about the significance of Mikis Todorakis as a public figure in Greece. And that brings us to the end of this brief feature on such an expansive life. Wait, you haven't shared your Mikis anecdote yet. Ah, yeah, okay. So, I've never told you this. I actually met him once. So um, it's 2004, uh, shortly before the Olympics in Athens, of course. Ah, okay. And uh, there is a press event to uh, announce a musical production that is based on the music of Mikis Theodorakis. Now, if you remember at that around that time, it's when uh, we had uh, Mamma Mia with Abba's songs and there was a Broadway production with Billy Joel's songs. And, you know, it was kind of find a particular artist and his his or her or their fam- most famous songs and then put a story to it and put on a play or make it into a film. So they did this with Theodorakis's music. It w- and I think it was going to start from September of that year. Okay, it's fair to say that this wasn't the the, the you know the, the greatest oeuvre in. Uh, the... <laughs> it's fair to say that this wasn't the greatest moment in uh, you know Mikis's uh, musical uh, career. <laughs> uh, although you know I ne- I never went to the the the, the theatre to see these uh, productions, so maybe they were very good. I don't want to be. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm just. I don't know. I'm just, I was in drama school at that time, so yeah. I'm just guessing it wasn't the high point of uh, uh, what uh, his music had uh, had to offer. Nevertheless, you know, it, it's part of his his music, his contribution being, as they say, ecumenical. A word we've heard during uh, the the podcast that it, it, it's there for for everyone, and it's liked by people from all kinds of backgrounds uh, and it, it doesn't, you know, the accessibility of it was one of the uh, great features. <clears throat> so they have this press event in Dionysos near the Acropolis, you know. The answer. So Another Dionysos, ex- yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To, so to explain to our listeners, this was is a, a, a cafe restaurant uh right beneath the Acropolis. I mean, you're there, you're looking at the, 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 the Parthenon. It's fair to say its heyday was in the, the 60s and 70s where it was perhaps the place to, to see and be seen. Um, perhaps later on it, it wasn't uh, uh, such a popular establishment, maybe one for the more for the tourists. Um, but nevertheless, the setting is quite uh, spectacular in, in many ways. So it was a small press event and I, I, I uh, went along and I was uh, introduced to him. We shook hands and uh, that, that's about it. But really the, 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 the story, the, 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 the bit that remained with me and the, the sort of what makes it an anecdote is that after this presentation has uh, finished, I noticed that one of the waiters comes up to him, comes up to Mickey's 
Thodorakis, who at this point, I guess, was in his 80s, late 70s. Um, and the, 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 the waiter comes up to him very slowly, very respectfully, waits for uh, this tall figure, even in his old age, tall man, to turn around to him. And he's, the waiter puts out his hand and he says, uh, Mr. Thodorakis, uh, I just wanted to shake the hand of a great Greek. And that's all, that's all they say. And Mikis puts out his hand, they shake hands, and the waiter goes off. And um, I think, well, you know, whatever you think of Theodorakis, and it's fair to say, you know, he, he during his very long career, and if you're around for so long, you're bound to rub some people up the wrong way, and uh, uh, no one has agreed with him all of the time in terms of his public utterings, but uh, and sometimes his his music hasn't been to everyone's taste, but he's he was a figure you couldn't ignore, and you, you had to have some uh, respect for certainly in in his uh, prime years and so that's that's an image that will always stay with me yeah no it's and i think he was always forgiven and and loved because like you know he he flipped back and forth and then he said i want to die a communist so he went back you know just before he died he decided he was going to join his original political affiliation and the great thing is like nobody even considered calling him, oh, look at the flip flop or whatever, because I don't know. Actually, this reminds me because I actually did see him live in Icaria hmm. in the 90s because he came back to do these shows. He was still conducting. You know, um, he was he was exiled. He, in Icaria, yeah, he was exiled there. Of course, he was yeah. exiled there. It was the good part of the of the exile. Hmm. It was hmm. before he went to Macronisos and was tortured in Icaria. They were just on Icaria and they had to be. And it was, I mean, I had just moved here. I didn't understand. Mm. I was, you know, 16 years old and I didn't quite understand how important he was politically um, in Greece yet. And I couldn't understand why the entire island was there and they wouldn't let him get off the stage. And he was so happy. He was like, this is a homecoming. And he was still, he had just been in the conservative government, but they didn't yeah. care because they knew well, here's the thing, and this is my my theory, and I'm going to throw it out there, and then we we can wrap up the show. That the reason that he was so widely accepted and loved and uh, respected was that he he was a man full of contradictions, and in the end, this is a country that's full of contradictions, and as a people, the Greeks are full of contradictions, and they all just fitted in. You know, hand hand in hand in glove, and and that's why he he everyone um, could see something in him that they admired or loved. I think that's a perfect way to end the show. Yeah, it feels fitting uh, somehow. So before we go, some final housekeeping. Remember, you can subscribe to the Agora on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Do subscribe as there will be more episodes in the coming weeks, we promise. Also rate <laughs> us and send us your feedback. We're always happy to hear from you. And you can find out more about Macropolis, the team behind this podcast, at www.macropolis.gr. Macropolis with a C. That's right. And finally, special thanks again to our friend Achilles Anastasiadis and his uh, Mandragoras group that he plays with in Hanover in Germany. If you're ever there, do check them out. They have a, a page on uh, Facebook as well. And of course, it's another example of the wide reach Theodorakis had that decades on, his music is still being played and listened to around the world. Theodorakis leaves a lasting legacy, undoubtedly. And we leave you with a piece called Mera Mayu Mumisepsis. You left me on a day in May, performed by Achilleas and Nino Anastasiadis. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.
Και δίχως να χορηγεί 